how many of us know someone who has struggled with depression, sadness, unresolved emotional issues? I think probably all of us know someone who has. We might even have somebody in our own family that struggles with these very issues. Mental health conditions are common in the United States. As a matter of fact, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, nearly one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness. The number is close to about 47 million in 2017, and more than 1.7 million veterans received treatment in a VA mental health specialty program in the fiscal year of 2018. Despite these individuals having, and many of us knowing people that have mental health issues, there is still a stigma attached to getting help. And while there is no supplement to getting help, meaning you can't take a pill to make this all go away, there are some effective ways to help address some of these issues without having to walk through the clinical doors. Our guest today is going to share one way veterans and their families are finding emotional support without seeing a therapist. Welcome to the Military Wire with Mike Schindler. This is the podcast where we interview America's most elite men and women who have served this country. We share their stories of overcoming, their proven lessons in leadership, and their journey to finding mission and purpose. Well, if you've ever walked through the mall or the airport, you've likely seen someone walking in that facility with an emotional support animal. As a matter of fact, on the Internet, there are many jokes about emotional support animals, things like ferrets and ponies, etc. And today we're going to discuss, is this really a thing? Is it effective? Our guest today is Prairie Conlon. She has a master's degree in professional counseling and a postgraduate degree in military behavioral health counseling. She was recently featured on Military Makeover with Montel Williams and is here today to discuss how animal-assisted therapy can greatly benefit a veteran, or a military spouse. Prairie, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And, you know, I I, I love telling my audience uh, who are Seahawks fans and who are not. And I'm just going to bust you out right now and just say that uh, I still love that you're on the show despite the fact of being an Aaron Rodgers fan and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so hopefully you relate to our Wisconsin audience. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, man, I love that support. So I saw on the Internet recently uh, an emotional support pony, and I just got to put it out there right away. What qualifies as an emotional support animal? Right. So I think it's important to clarify what an emotional support animal is versus a service dog and a therapy dog. So there are, there are three different types, and a service animal means any dog that's individually trained to do work or perform a task for somebody that has a mental or physical disability. Um, it used to only be dogs, but as of recently, it did become um, miniature ponies as well. So the, that's service dogs. Now, therapy dogs are dogs that are used in office by a therapist or in school programs. Those are also the dogs that visit hospitals. I actually have one in my own private practice. Now, emotional support animals, or ESAs as I call them, are used as part of a clinical treatment plan prescribed by somebody's doctor or therapist. They can provide um, companionship, uh, relieve symptoms of depression and anxiety and certain phobias, but they don't have any special training to perform tasks, and they're not granted the same privileges as a service animal. Interesting. Okay, so talk to me a little bit. So this is So there's three categories, as I understand it. So mm -hmm. if somebody has a, uh, and I typically see them with vests, 
right? I mean, these, these animals mm-hmm. have vests on of some sort that probably indicate what type of animal they are. What mm-hmm. type of training goes into an ESA versus a, uh, I guess, what, what's the other one? A service dog, the right? Service so, dog. Yeah. yeah. So, so service dogs usually typically have years of training. They're trained, they're your seeing eye dogs, they're uh, epilepsy dogs or um, diabetic alert dogs. Um, emotional support animals don't require any specific training. However, they're not allowed in public places. The only public place they're allowed in is the airport. Um, but they are not allowed in stores or restaurants or anything, anything like that. Um, but um, and, and the qualification comes from the person, not necessarily the animal. Um, but the, the things that are required about the animal is the animal cannot be aggressive or cause any disruption um, for others or any damage. They can't cause undue burden on landlords. Um, so that, that's basic for what's required for the animal. And it can be a dog or a cat or rabbit or mini pony, but my policy as well as um, the company I work for, CertiPet, is cats, dogs, and rabbits only due to health and safety issues and zoning regulations, stuff like that. So, sorry, no snakes on a plane, no peacocks. <laughs> don't do that. Okay, so, but those are emotional support animals, correct? Correct. Okay, got it. So, and I know there's this big push of equine therapy, and I've seen the effects of that. I think it's mm-hmm. amazing, um, and, and it's proven to be effective, as you likely know. Um, it, so, is there a difference? Again, explain that difference between sure. animal-assisted therapy, because there's therapy involved, and then an emotional support animal. So, one is therapy-related, right. and one is just support-related. Is that correct? Right. Yes, yes. So, First off, though, I have to say I love equine-assisted psychotherapy. I use that out of my own private practice. I did my practicum and internship out of a stable um, Horses That Heal that was right outside of Fort Bragg in North Carolina, and it's it's really amazing what it can do, and we've seen a lot of improvements for civilians and veterans alike. Um, but equine-assisted psychotherapy and ESAs, they do have one thing in common, and that is that it's experiential. So therapies that are experiential in nature are really important when working with trauma and PTSD because, as we know, trauma lives in our sensory memories. So um, when the soldier or civilian is moving around a horse in an open area, it heightens those sensory memories that they experience during deployments, which actually allows us, as the clinician, to work within those areas while they're experiencing them which is pretty mm-hmm. impactful. It's, it's very yeah. different than in-office work. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's pretty amazing. So talk to me about, I mean, it, this subject is so fascinating because there's so much mm-hmm. science around it and so many, you know, uh, I think swim lanes people can go down. What what kind of pulls you into this military military behavioral health counseling aspect? What Why did you gravitate toward this? Um, so I'm actually a military spouse. Um, my husband was a service member. He served in the Army Infantry and Psychological Operations. He was in over 10 years. Mm. And mm-hmm, so, yeah, kind of just gratitude so with it. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. When I want to be, I want to ask that question. And you know, in, in fairness to my audience, I kind of knew the answer. Uh, but I think it's so important that that our listeners understand that. But for you, it was personal, but personal to the point that they're probably not trying to, you know, we, we, my wife and I joke that we are the worst counselors in our own relationship, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So we never wanted to be the counselor for each other in, in our relationship. But 
it, it gives us those mechanisms to go ahead and deal with difficult moments. But to be able to, to have that experience and then be able to share that experience and help other people walk through it, I think is so impressive. So I just, I, I top dog, bravo salute to you on that. Um, can you walk me through, cause we get this question a lot is, and I think there is confusion and I want to kind of break through this confusion because I think it's so important that people understand that there really is power and there is healing, uh, in animal therapy. But the confusion mm-hmm. is because people see this walking through the mall, they don't know the difference anymore. Right. right? right. So how mm-hmm. do we, how do we know the difference? Like, how can one, what's a simple way to know the difference between these two? So the thing is, is a lot of times we're not going to know. You know, people are walking around with invisible scars, so we can't sit there and look at that person has PTSD or this person has that. And that's where a lot of the problems are coming up right now is because we don't have a lot of faith in each other and we're saying, is that person abusing the system? Unfortunately, that's the first thing that comes to our mind when we see somebody walking, you know, through the airport is, oh, my gosh, they have an animal again. It's probably just like the person who brought the peacock in here. And that's really too bad because, and that's, you know, where we are working to make sure that there's proper regulation um, because it's not really anything that you can just go up and ask. Um, you know, they're actually not required legally to have a vest. Um, it, the only thing that's required is uh, a clinical note from their doctor or clinician. So, um, but it really is, it can be pretty apparent if the animal's causing any kind of a disruption or, um, you know, I mean, you can tell the difference between an animal that's trained and an animal that's not. Yeah. And when you, you know, anytime there's any kind of a disruption, that is something that you obviously I wouldn't recommend just going up to that person, um, but, you know, notifying maybe somebody um, in the airport or somebody in the store or saying, you know, can we see a manager? There's a disruption over here, and I'm kind of worried about this animal's behavior. Um, so that's really about the only thing that you can do. Mm, wow. Unfortunately, that's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think when we first saw, you know, started seeing, you know, animals in public place, like it, obviously the service dogs, I think were probably the first to the market and people really understood that people that had service dogs probably had some major issues or some issues mm-hmm. that they were dealing with, right? Again, we're, we're right. talking about perception. And then it started gravitating to all these other animals and people were like, wait a second, you know, what is going on? And I think, you know, it's great advice to say, number one, we should be not looking through the lens of judgment, but how can we be a support to that individual? And if that animal is disruptive, then there are measures that one can take to to go ahead and mitigate that. So I I think that's great advice. So thank you for putting that out there. I want to talk about the op-tempo of deployments um, because you and I both know that those can be difficult on families and and those have, Mm -hmm. you know, reduced over the years for sure. But I, I say that meaning the amount of people that are deploying. uh, However, those who are deploying tend to be deploying more. I have a friend that's getting ready to go on his 10th deployment, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they're not cycling through, you know, they're they're not putting in a new mix of of service members. They're putting in the same mix uh, because of the training skills and ability that they brought through, and it's just easier to have them go on a redeployment. So I've got to believe, and I know for sure that that creates tension in the family, how have you seen pets bring comfort to a family who has a loved one deployed? I, because I believe that's part of your business, correct? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as a military spouse, I am very attuned to the frequent deployments, like the trainings and the recurrent absences often required by um, his MOS when he was in. And, and the absences, coupled with the fact that military families are consistently on the move, and they're always changing workplaces and school and environment, family life, friends, I mean, everything. The, the family yeah. pet, it's a consistency. It brings a sense of normal to the multiple homes throughout all these changes and, and sometimes the unpredictable or the really long absences of a parent. So that's, um, you know, really what it comes down to is just the consistency. Is that right? So mm-hmm. let's let's talk about your company because I know that you guys, you know, CertiPets, Tell us what you what you guys do, what you offer, and how people can really take advantage of what you're doing in the marketplace. Right, right. So we're a telehealth company, meaning we have a HIPAA secure platform that links clients to private practice therapists who have specific knowledge in animal-assisted therapies. And we've created a really easily accessible and affordable service through telehealth, while also facilitating strong therapeutic rapport through the use of animal-assisted interventions. So I would say nearly half of the clients that utilize the telehealth services that I've seen um, through our platform have never received mental health services due to a number of reasons, which could be, uh, you know, public stigma, uh, mental health, and fear of disclosing personal information, and also the time and the cost association. So yeah. with the animal acting as a common ground for a therapeutic relationship to develop, plus the ease and availability of telehealth through our system. We're just really excited that we're reaching those who might not seek help in the first place to get the help that they need. So do you help them get a pet at some point too, or is it really just as focused on tele, which I think is awesome? Um, Is it a combo of both, or can they choose? So the majority of the people already have an animal. Again, because the emotional support animal doesn't need to have any specific training, Got it. They can they can already have their animal, and so we just require again that their animal not be an aggressive animal, not um, cause any kind of disruption, because then you know obviously it would be voided at that point. But um, yeah, we just ask that the the animal is is well behaved. Um, but the thing is, is again those animals aren't going into public places; they're just being allowed to live at their home or their place of residence without um, pet pet fees or pet rent. Um, and they're also allowed to be in places where pets might not ne- necessarily be allowed to live. So if it was like a pet-free um, housing complex, then they would be able to have their animal there. But in order for it to qualify as an emotional support animal, I have to have some sort of note from my doctor or from my therapist. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so, yeah, what we do is um, what actually qualifies someone is we use the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. We determine if someone qualifies through assessment procedures and clinical interviews. And if they do qualify, um, then basically we see, does the animal help mitigate the psychological symptoms the person is experiencing? And that, in a nutshell, is what an emotional support animal is and what defines that. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, see, that's so important. And I think it's so important that people take advantage and check you guys out. I think there was one study, and I know we didn't reference it at the beginning, but, you know, the fact that, you know, the National Institute of Mental Health says, you know, nearly one in five adults has some sort of mental illness. I think I saw another study out there that was specific to our military and veteran families 
that said those surveyed, I think that the total was close to two thirds, like 60 plus percent said that they struggled mm-hmm. with some emotional or mental issue and did not seek uh, help service therapy, except for because of the stigma. And mm-hmm. what, what you guys are doing is breaking down that stigma or maybe not even a breaking down that stigma, but just saying, listen, there's another avenue, another channel for mm-hmm. you guys to get help without having to worry about the stigma, right? Right, right. It Sometimes it just creates enough of a path to it that, you know, they're saying, well, we have to move. And military families having to move into housing, they don't know, um, are, is it going to be pet-free housing and you couldn't bring our family dog with us? Or, um, you know, having to fly with the animal. You know, I mean, the I don't, a lot of people don't realize that the military pay isn't a lot. In a right. lot of cases. And so these people don't have, you know, $150 per time to bring their animal with them. And they're maybe changing bases uh, every few years or sometimes even shorter than that. I remember we did a, a slingshot back and forth from one base to another in a nine-month period once. And, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's a lot of traveling. That's a lot of the deposits. And then adding pet deposit, pet rent, and heaven forbid, it's pet-free housing and you're made to get rid of your dog that your family and your children are attached to, you know, that's a really, that's a really upsetting thing. And so yeah. this kind of creates that, um, that one consistency, that normal is knowing um, of all the things that you have to worry about, the deployments and money and stuff like this. You don't have to worry if your dog's coming with you. Oh, uh, see, that's awesome. So if, 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 if somebody wanted to learn more about what you guys are doing on their sort of pad, uh, you know, start the process, get engaged in the telepiece, see if they qualify for that, see if their animal actually qualifies to be, a, you know, a support animal mm-hmm. or, or an emotional support animal. Where should they go? How, how do they start that process, Pray? So they can actually talk to their current doctor or therapist that they're working with. They, um, you know, are more than welcome to do that. Um, again, what we're here for is people that don't have access. Um, you know, we're here to, to make sure, and and also the time commitment. Again, it's really hard to say, you know, I'm going to take half a day off to drive to the doctor's office and come right. and then, you know, back. And, and again, the mental stigma attached with that. A lot of people don't want to have to deal with that with CertiPet. You know, our therapists, um, they can reach out to you, um, you know, at times that are a little bit easier for everybody. You know, the telehealth, it just is so convenient. And so, um, but if they don't have access or availability, they can go to certipet.com and they can be linked up with one of our clinicians. Um, we're all knowledgeable in the animal-assisted therapy for use in clinical treatment plan. Mm, that is awesome. Well, I love what you guys are doing, Prairie. I think it's so important. I think I think it's so necessary. Uh, and, and I just, uh, I hope and I pray that somebody that is listening to this uh, that they take advantage of what you guys are doing in the marketplace because it's so important. I think it's a necessary step oftentimes to help families get back on a pathway to success and healing. Um, so thank you. I just want to say thanks for being on the show. And for those who are interested in our discovering your post-service identity, prepare, plan, execute on your best year ever after transition, you can visit OperationMilitaryFamily.com or you can DM me on LinkedIn. Curry, again, I just want to say thank you for everything you're doing and thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much.